there. There she is. Uh, welcome to the Tuesday night Bible study. We are in the Gospel of John, and we left off uh, right around verse 21 or so. Where we are in the story of Jesus's life is that he has died on the cross. He's had a ministry for about three years. He's now died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world, and he is um, he has been in the grave, and now it is Sunday, and he has risen from the dead. Mary Magdalene, a woman, was the first one that saw the risen Christ because she was there and she cared. Um, so later, he also appears, and it's not in this gospel, to Peter, the apostle Peter, separately, but there's still some restoration that has to come. We'll see that in the next chapter. So pick it up in verse 20, uh, sorry, verse 19, just to get the flavor of where we are. This is Easter Sunday, if you will. Those of you that are here, so I know that you're awake, say amen. amen. Good one. And those of you on Zoom, say amen or wave or stick out your tongue or do something crazy. Okay. Um, we got a good crowd on Zoom tonight. Um, verse 19 of chapter 20 of the Gospel of John. On the evening of that first day of the week, this is Sunday, Easter Sunday, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. This is, these are the 11 uh, apostles, actually 10. I'll show you in a second. Come to think of it. Thomas isn't there. Judas has uh, committed suicide. They are in the upper room. They are cowering in total fear. Okay. Is that what they should be doing? No. What do they think might happen? Their leader just got crucified. They might be coming for them next. They're very fearful. This is important to recognize. If you're ever fearful, Notice the change in them. Read, go home and read Acts chapter 2 after Pentecost, empowered by the Holy Spirit, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. They are given boldness and power. You can't believe it's the same, guys. It's an awesome thing. So that's where they are. They're upstairs together going, what are we going to do now, guys? We gave up everything. He's dead. They've heard that uh, Mary Magdalene and the women came to them and said, this is in Luke 24, I've seen the Lord. They didn't believe it. It seemed like wives' tales or, you know, fables kind of thing. So there they are. The doors are locked. And the word in Greek, it's not just closed or shut, uh, which some translations have. It's like the word for bolted. They're, they're locked in there because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders. All of a sudden, very glibly, John just says it, Jesus came and stood among them. So he sort of popped in. Okay, he didn't open the door, didn't have a key, comes through the wall, materializes. Can I explain this? No. Science fiction, you know, Star Trek, I don't know. He's able with a glorified body to go through not only locked doors and walls, but remember, he left the grave clothes there, rose through them, rose out of that stone tomb the door, the stone was not rolled away, we said last week, to let him out. It was to let the witnesses in. So this is a glorified body. All of a sudden, he comes and stands in their midst. Now, if you can imagine being in a room, kind of dark, no electricity, some candles, with your 
nine friends, the 10 of you, you're afraid already. And all of a sudden, boom, there's an 11th person and it's Jesus. No wonder the first thing he says is, peace be with you. Don't fear. It's okay. Uh, he says that often when he pops in like that. Um, that's Shalom Alekum, by the way. Uh, he says, verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. We talked about this last week, that the only man-made thing in heaven will be the wounds of Jesus Christ in his hands, probably here in the wrist area, um, and his side and in his feet. John doesn't mention the feet. Luke, uh, it's either Luke or Mark does. It's in my notes somewhere um, that the, he shows them those as well. He's showing them to show him, show them it's not, he's not a ghost. In the parallel passage in Luke 24, he says, handle me and see. A spirit or ghost doesn't have flesh and bone as you see I have. He also eats a piece of fish to show them I'm really here. You're really seeing me because they must have been pretty freaked out, pretty scared. Um, so he shows them his hands and his side. The disciples, this is still verse 20, were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I can imagine. As with Mary Magdalene, we see again, they were not expecting a resurrection. They're shocked, but they're thrilled. Verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. It repeats it. As the now he's got a commission for them. And he says, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This is nice to read, and you think, well, that's for the 10 guys in the room, plus Matthias, who they pick in Acts, plus the Apostle Paul. Right? Wrong. This is for you too. Go into all the world, Matthew uh, 28 says, and make disciples, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. This is the marching orders for all believers there. It's not just for ministers or priests. It's for everybody. As the Father sent me, Jesus says, I'm sending you. Now, this doesn't happen for several weeks that he actually sends them because they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, verse 22, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is all what we finished sort of last week. So um, we really left off now that I'm looking in verse 23, but I wanted to cover 21 and 22 a little bit again. Let's talk about 22. We, we talked about it last week. With that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So there's scholars are all over the map on this. Does he give them the Holy Spirit at that moment? The majority of scholars, the good scholars that I read, I didn't read anybody that thought that they got the Holy Spirit right then. A week later, they're in the upper room and they're afraid again. There's no boldness. They're not preaching. Nothing's changed. So then what is this? Most of the scholars said, we said this last week, this is an act of creation in a sense. If you remember Genesis, when God creates man, he is inanimate, meaning it's a dead body. And God breathes into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and Adam comes to life. You say, well, these guys are already alive physically. Why breathe on them? Because they're not alive spiritually until they're born again, John 3. I tell you the truth, you must be born again. He breathes on them, and I believe this is a gift. It's a foretelling of what's going to happen. They're going to get the Holy Spirit. He does tell them in the other Gospels, now go to Galilee and wait until you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
So I don't think they have it at this second because you don't see any real change in them. In chapter 21, they seven of them go fishing and they don't recognize the Lord. I believe with the Holy Spirit, they would have went, it's the Lord right away. They would have figured it out. They don't. So this is a sort of a promise that they're going to get the Holy Spirit, but they are giving, he's giving them eternal life. They become, in my, I, I believe, born again at this moment. Um, receive, it, NIV has receive the Holy Spirit. We said last week in the Greek, it says receive Holy Spirit. Usually it's the Holy Spirit, indicating maybe that what he's talking about is that their spirits are now being holy because made holy because he's paid for their sins. Okay, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, here comes the verse people have a hard time with sometimes, verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven or they are retained. This sounds and in a cursory reading, it sounds like he's saying to them, you get to decide and dispense forgiveness. You have it. You don't. You do. You don't. Her, maybe. Not so. All this is, is because he has died on the cross, the prerequisite to faith is, I'm sorry, the prerequisite to salvation is faith. That Notice what it says here. Notice, um, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. What's going on here is those who believe when they preach, some people will come forward and say, we believe it. Jesus is now my Lord and my Savior. I believe on the basis of what Christ has taught them and on the New Testament, which is about to be written in the years that follow, they, can't, they have the authority to declare based, and so do you, by the way, based on the word of God, if someone says, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've spoken with them enough to understand, they understand who and what Jesus was and what he did, and who and what they are and what they've done sin-wise, and that there's no hope of me getting saved apart from a, a salvation that comes from above. When someone believes, you and I have the authority, as they did, to say, based on your confession of faith, Chris or Jeannie or anybody, I can tell you that the Bible says, Jesus said, your sins, all of them, are forgiven. They're not doing the forgiving, they're doing the declaring, the announcing. On the other hand, they will preach sermons and witness to people in the, in the marketplace of life where people will hear the gospel and say, nah, I don't believe in God. I think it sounds made up. I don't believe it. I'm a good person. I don't need a savior. You and I have the authority, this is the hard part, for them and us to say, then I'm sorry to say this, and we say it sadly, but based on the word of God and what Jesus said, because you have refused God's only way to get to heaven, the only antidote to the disease you and I have, which is SIN positive. Remember HIV positive in the 80s and 90s? We're SIN positive, all of us. The only antidote is the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. On the basis of the fact that you have said, nope, I don't want to get out of here with that Jesus stuff, I have to tell you in love, not with the finger and the angry face, because we're not happy about it. Your sins, Harold, or whatever the guy's name is, or gal's name is, a gal named Harold would be weird, wouldn't it? Um, Harold, your sins are still on your soul, and the Bible has said you will suffer forever forever outside of the presence of God in all things holy. 
unless you res- we're just declaring the truth. Now you say, yeah, I'm not that comfortable doing that. Neither am I, but I've done it and you ought to do it too. If you go to the doctor with major chest pains, okay, and they x-ray you and check you out, and the doctor says, I took some x-rays, I know what's wrong with you, and you say, well, give it to me straight, what is it, doc? And he says, I don't want to offend you, but thanks for coming. Wouldn't you want to know? Like, no, 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 tell me. Okay, there's a huge, you have cancer in your lungs, it's, look at the, the big tumor there. I would want to know, right? Now, the person can say, I don't believe the x-rays, see you later. That's like the person that says, I don't want the gospel. I don't think I'm a sinner. But the point is, don't blame the x-ray or the doctor. Blame the disease and thank God for the antidote, for the, the medicine, if you will. So that's what he's saying there in verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. They don't have the ability to pick and choose who's to forgive. They're simply declaring or announcing the forgiveness that Jesus has bought for them. Um, by the way, back to the Holy Spirit, uh, John 16, 7, Jesus says, unless I go away, the Holy Spirit, the advocate will not come. But if I go away to heaven, ascend, happens in Acts 1, right around verse 8, 9, 10, then I will send the Holy Spirit to you. He hasn't done that yet. He breathed on them. Yes, they're born again. They don't have the Holy Spirit yet. Um, okay, let's keep rolling. Now, John parenthetically introduces an unusual thing. It was only 10, not 11. Verse 24, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when he came. Um, These are English words, but, uh, well, Didymus isn't, but he gives the uh, two names for Thomas. Aramaic is the Thomas name. Greek is Didymus. Didymus means twin. The majority opinion is that Thomas had a twin brother. He's not one of the apostles. He didn't believe the brother did. Thomas did. There's a small minority of scholars that think Thomas looked so much like Jesus, they called him the twin. I don't know where you get that. The book of illusions, chapter nine, maybe. But anyway, is there a book of illusions? Some people are looking in their Bible. Um, anyway, Thomas, notice Didymus, one of the 12, wasn't with them. Believe me, we won't, but I could spend two weeks on this. Hebrews 10, I think it's verse 25, says, it's a command, folks. Listen, if you're a Christian, if you believe, if you pray, if you read your Bible, you're saved. I get that. But if you're what's called a Lone Ranger Christian, meaning... I believe, I read my Bible, me and Jesus, I don't go to church, I don't go to a Bible study, or I don't want to be in a small group, and I'm just kind of paranoid of people, or COVID, or whatever, I'm just me and Jesus, you are disobeying a command in the Bible. What's the command is that, Joe? Joe? Hebrews 10.25, I think it is, which says, it is, okay, Deb is confirming, don't, uh, don't, neglect the assembling of yourselves, listen, together, which is the habit of some. Now, some of you on Zoom can't come to Oakhurst, California here. I get that. I'm glad that you're on Zoom. I got a note from somebody in Memphis, Tennessee today that watches and somebody in South South or North Carolina. Praise God. My, my friend in Florida is watching, James. But if you can be in a group 
It doesn't have to be this group, a church. It's important that we assemble together. There's the power in numbers. There's prayer. There's the fellowship. There's encouragement. There's being um, accountable to someone to where they say, hey, I know you have a problem with alcohol. How are you doing? Oh, well, not that good. Oh, let me pray with you. And I want you to call me tomorrow and tell me how you did tonight. That's important. On our own, that's not the model. Thomas should have been there. I don't know why he's not there. Too depressed, afraid, had more important stuff. What would be more important? He misses out on a whole week of encouragement because he doesn't see the Lord. Okay, now that I've made you guilty, let's keep rolling. So he does show up eventually, which is good. Verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. I don't think they said it. We've seen the Lord. I think they were shouting and they were so blown away. You're not going to, Thomas, you're not going to believe this, or maybe you will. We saw him. But he said to them, verse 25, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. The key word in that verse is the word will. Because sometimes belief is a matter of the will, as opposed to, I just don't have enough evidence. Okay. Thomas, I know it's hard to believe that a man was dead for three days and rose, but Thomas has adequate evidence. These are not strangers. Okay. These are the 10 guys he hung out with for several years. He knows them to be ethical, honest. Why would they lie about this? He knows Mary Magdalene, who would clarify and, and confirm it. He knows the tomb's empty, that people are saying it. He is pragmatic. I want evidence. By the way, in the whole New Testament, no one ever demands evidence like this. Thomas is usually called what, class? Doubting Thomas, right? And for good reason, because he doubts their word. I need more tangible evidence. Okay. Um, I like to call Thomas honest Thomas because do you, have you heard about, have you heard of the word peer pressure? A bunch of people go, we believe we've seen Jesus. And somebody that just goes along goes, yeah, me too. I believe. And inside they're going, I, I don't know, maybe he's honest enough to go. Sorry, I'm not buying it. I got to see what you saw. He is, um, very loyal. In another part of the Gospel of John, he's very pessimistic. They know that, this is several chapters ago, Jesus explains, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Jews have it in for me. They know he does. Thomas says, I should have brought the verse. I don't have it off the top of my head. Thomas says, well, let's go up to Jerusalem so we can die with him. Do you remember that? Just very, like, he's kind of a downer, this guy, but he's a solid, I want evidence kind of person. Now, what's interesting is what Jesus does with this. Uh, that's, to me, the most amazing thing. So they tell him, we've seen the Lord. We, collectively, all 10 of us, not one. If you know anything about psychology, you know that there's such a thing as hallucinations, okay? But in all of psychology, uh, uh, Lee Strobel brings this out in his book, The Case for Christ, which is an excellent book written by a skeptic trying to disprove Christianity, and he ended up becoming a Christian and has a huge ministry now. 
psychologists will tell you a, a um, hallucination is possible. A mass hallucination of 10 people is literally impossible. Uh, let alone 500 people we learn in 1 Corinthians 15 saw him, uh, the risen Christ. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where they were, I don't only want to see them, I want to feel it too. That's two senses sight, and maybe I'll hear him as well, but I want to feel, which is kind of gross, right? Would you want to put your, let me put my finger in the nail. Ugh, it's okay. Um, and he also wants to put his hand into his side. Unless that happens, that's my condition for faith. Now you either meet it, God, or I'm out. I have to admit, if I was God, I would go get lost. Yeah, Chris is going, bye. Come on. We're going to learn some lessons about faith. By the way, did you catch the reference to the spear in his side? From this, we learn something about the size of the spear. You say, how's that? He doesn't say um, finger in the nail holes, finger in the side, meaning it was just a little spear. Hand, a man's hand can fit in that hole. Wow. No wonder if he was definitely dead, pierced the pericardium, the sac around the heart. Remember we talked about that blood and water come out. He was truly dead. Until I can put my hand there to confirm is what he's saying. It's the same guy. Could Jesus have risen and gotten a whole new body? Look, no scars. Why the scars? As a proof. But as we said last week, it's the thing you're going to look at the most in heaven and go, that's, there's the reason I'm here. He paid my price. Okay. Doubting Thomas. Honest Thomas. Um, so Thomas has made a demand, if you will. Um, he misses out on a whole week of power, encouragement, support. Um, human nature being what it is. Are you like me? If I'm down, if I'm sad, if I'm in pain, we, I tend to isolate. Some people don't. I tend to like back off from people. Wrong thing to do in Christianity. You have brothers and sisters that also believe what you believe. Go be around them. You'd be surprised how much uplifted your spirit will be when you do so. Let's keep moving, shall we? Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Good. He missed church a week ago. Now he's with them. Though the doors were, what? Locked. They're still fearful. They're still hiding in there. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. It's act two. It's the same thing. He says the same words, comes through the same way. Ah, suddenly there's someone there. Peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas. And if you're Thomas, you're going, oh, gulping, right? Like, oh, no. And you're thinking, Whew, I'm glad he wasn't here and didn't hear what I had to say. But he knows. How do you know? He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas instantly knows, oh no, he knows. It isn't like Peter ratted on him. And guess what Thomas said? I'm tattling, right? He, Jesus just knows he's God. 
right? You can't hide. So the amazing thing, I'm glad I'm, I wasn't Jesus because you know what I would have said? Shame on you. These guys believed. Others believed. Why can't you believe? Billions with a B of human beings on this planet, like all of you, I'm assuming you haven't seen the Lord and put your fingers in the right hand. We believe and we've never seen him. We're about to hear that there's a special blessing because of that. He doesn't scold him, but he gives him a command. He meets him, notice, at his point of unbelief. Right there. Very gracious. There's no scolding. There's, there's no sarcasm. We can't tell, but I don't think so. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. So, and then the command, stop doubting, stop being unbelieving, and believe is literally how it reads in Greek. So there are three things he tells him to do. Put your fingers, put your hand, stop doubting and believe. From the following verses, I'm going to show you Thomas never touches him, doesn't need to. Seeing is enough. Hearing his voice, hearing that he knows what I said, omniscience, all-knowing. Um, and he obeys the command and stops doubting and starts believing. But to his credit, like I called him, honest Thomas, Thomas, from everyone in all four Gospels, says the most astute, um, it's the highest ground in this whole Gospel and the highest ground in all four Gospels, what Thomas says in response to the evidence of seeing his Lord before his face. Watch. So it's a week later. They're all there again. Who's the most freaked out? Thomas. The others have had Jesus pop in once already. It's still a little freaky, but there, there he is again. Wow. Thomas, put your finger here, reach out, stop doubting and believe. Verse 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Okay, now let's talk about that because there have been, I've, I've used this verse with Jehovah's Witnesses before who don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe he's a God. What? So you have more than one God? No. He's not almighty God. So I read in this verse, and I've had Jehovah's Witnesses say to me, all he's doing is doing what people say when they see something amazing. My God, that, that fish you caught is bigger. My God, that's incredible. Okay, listen, Orthodox Jews, they're all Jewish. There is no way in the world a Jew would use God's name like that in a million trillion years. Well, then what's going on here? In Greek, what he says is the Lord of me and the God of me. And he's saying it to Jesus. He is saying to Jesus, you are my Lord, Kyrios in Greek, which is a word in the Greek Old Testament used for God. You are my Lord and my God. Okay. If he's wrong, we're going to expect the next verse to say, and Jesus said, no, no, I'm not God. I'm a lesser God. I'm just a Messiah. I'm an avatar. I'm a great teacher. 
I'm just here as an example. Don't bow to me. In the book of Revelation, more than once, John encounters an angel. Do you remember that? And he's so blown away by the angel, John, in his moment of panic, bows and starts worshiping the angel. And do you notice what happens? The angel says, no, 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 get up, don't do that. Worship God. In the Old Testament, over and over and over, it says, only God can receive worship. To worship anyone, anything, a statue is blasphemy for a Jew. Credit Thomas with this, honest Thomas, right? You learned a new way to refer to him. I don't believe unless I see and put my fingers in. Here comes Jesus. Go ahead, knock yourself out. Here, I'll pull up my little robe so you can put your hand here. Thomas, there's no record of him touching him. I'll show you why in a second. But he says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. No one else has a higher way of referring to Jesus in the Gospels. It's an amazing statement of faith. Um, the Lord of me and the God of me. Um, yeah, we already talked about that. I want you to notice he doesn't say Lord and God. That'd be pretty good. It's like a B. The Lord of me and the God of me. Do you know what this is? It's a personal confession of faith right? It's fine to say, you know, people say Jesus is Lord and she, she calls him her Lord. Um, what about you? Yeah. I, that's knowing that she believes Jesus is Lord is not going to get me into heaven. God deals on an individual basis. Thomas comes to faith in an unusual and gracious way on God's part. Um, in this gospel, grab your Bible. Well, you already have your Bible. I want you to go to John chapter one with me. I want to take a brief tour of John and we're just going to take witnesses like it's a court of law. Who says Jesus is God? Is this it? Go to John chapter one, verse 34. Let's get our first testimony. Um, this is John the Baptist talking. <clears throat> He says he saw that he gave, he baptized him. Verse 32, I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 34. I have seen and I testify that this is the son of God. Now, listen, if a man has a son, by definition, the son has to be a man. Okay. It's a boy. It grows into a man. But if God has a son in the truest sense, it has to be God. Son of God for a Jew would be the same as saying God. Now let's go to chapter one, verse 49, where Jesus displays omniscience. Verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false or no guile. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the, another title, king of Israel. Okay, now let's keep rolling. Go to John, John chapter five. Wow, I'm hearing screeching sounds. And is it the parking lot or the roads? That side, okay. 
Chris is going to go yell at him. All right, John chapter five. Uh, what verse do we want, Joe? Verse 25, Jesus talking. Uh, verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, look at this, has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the, what does he call himself? Son of God. Okay, now go to chapter 6, verse 69. It's a long chapter. Chapter 6. A lot of people abandon Jesus in chapter 6 because he says, I'm the bread of life that comes down from heaven. He feeds a multitude. Then he says, gives a sermon. And he says, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. A lot of people abandon him at this point. Verse 66. Interestingly, it's 666. From this time, many of his disciples turned away and no longer followed him. Look at verse 67. Jesus says to the, to the guys, the disciples, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Here it comes. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. All kinds of testimony. Now go to chapter 9, that, the, that Jesus is God. Go to chapter 9. Do you remember the blind man that was healed by Jesus? There was a big controversy in that healing. Um, nobody's ever heard, verse 32, of, the, uh, of somebody opening the eyes of a man born blind. Verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Um, from God. Uh, a testimony. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out of the, of the synagogue of the temple. When he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man, the man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, title for God, I believe. And he, what? Worshiped him. Proskuneo in Greek, it means to bow down, head to, face to the ground, face at his feet, bowing down to him in worship. If Jesus isn't God, he's right now should say, no, 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 get up. Don't do that. That would be blasphemy. He receives notice worship. There's no record of Jesus going, no, stop. Don't do that. Um, okay. Uh, Martha in chapter 11. And then this verse, we won't go to that Martha one. Thomas knows that dead, that Jesus was truly dead. How do you know that? Because he mentions the, the big holes, big enough to put a finger in of a grown man in his hands and the side size of a hand. Um, we already talked about Revelation, so we won't go there, but that's Revelation 19 twice where there's an angel that somebody's worshiping and the angel says, don't do it. Only God can receive worship. So uh, let's talk about doubt. The good thing that Thomas does, and from time to time, Christians have doubts, don't they? Right? I don't know if you're like me, but I don't tend to doubt when everything's going great. Do you? I tend to doubt more when I'm sick or in pain or there's some major problem, right? And after I've done the little pity party with the violin, and why me, Lord? And my problems are so small compared to... Look at the list I prayed for. You want to know some people going through some stuff um, and being strengthened through it, by the way. 
we tend to doubt, is God really there? Here's the wrong thing to do. Unless you get me out of this, unless you answer my questions right now, I'll give you till 2.30 today, unless you, who are you and I to be demanding of God, unless you do anything? My point is just this. You and I have more evidence than Thomas because we have the whole New Testament. We have the testimony of all the apostles of the apostle of the gospel writer Luke, the whole book of Acts. We have the testimony of all the people that write the New Testimony, uh, New Test Testament. We have the testimony of those around us who have believed and the testimony of our own experience, which by the way, you notice I put that last, experience is notoriously unreliable. Don't base your faith or anything on, I had this experience. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Base your faith on the word of God, which is solid as a rock. How we can mess up this promise that we're about to hear is, well, let's read the promise and then I'll get to the, how we can mess it up. Um, are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay, not as loud as the first time, but pretty good. So he says, my Lord and my God, verse 29. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. By the way, some translations make this a question. Have you believed because you've seen me? Most, most of the commentators, uh, commentators that I read said it's a statement, not a question. So I'm going to read it the way NIV has it. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's saying, now that you've seen me, notice Jesus doesn't say, because you've seen me and put your finger in the hole in my hand and put your hand. He didn't do it. What was the, the request of Thomas was until I can see and put the finger in. He never does. I don't believe he touches him to check. He might've grasped his, his ankles to praise him and worship him or hug him. But I don't think he needed to do this because you have seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you. That's me. That's just about everybody that will be in heaven, right? That have not seen the Lord and yet we've believed. We don't demand that, right? If, if Jesus will show up by Thursday, okay, then I'll believe you, Jim, what you're telling me. We believe. Let me say that without the Holy Spirit doing this to you, drawing you, you would have never believed based on the evidence alone. I'm an evidence person. I had to look at the evidence for the how true is the Bible, how good are the documents, the manuscript evidence, archaeology, all that stuff. I ate up those books like that. Evidence that demands a verdict, case for Christ. There's a bunch of them. However, I'm not here because of that. You know why I'm here? Because Jesus went. It's time to come, Joe. Let's go. Here I am. Unto each, Romans says, believer, listen to this, is given a measure of faith. No, I built my own faith. No, you didn't. He gave you the faith. Now, it's true. Faith is a muscle. And the more you exercise it, the more it grows, the more you read the word, the more you pray, the more you trust him and see him work in your life, the more your faith grows. And we're commanded to do that. 
But listen, he gave you the faith. You can't even take credit for that. I'm a very spiritual person. I came to my own faith. No, you didn't. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's the kind of faith God honors. God said it in his word. I'm acting on it. I've given you the analogy of faith several times in this Bible study about this stool. Those of you on Zoom can't see, but I'm sitting on a stool with a back here. Those of you that are here can see, right? Are my leg, are my feet on the ground or are my feet on the stool? My feet are on the stool, meaning what? I'm trusting this stool to hold my weight 100%, right? So if this stool is made out of balsa wood, I'm going to go flying and probably break something at my advanced age. On the other hand, if I was sitting like this, you would say, you can see by the way he's sitting, he's got his foot on the ground in case the stool, he can catch himself. He's not that sure about this stool. Listen, don't come to Christ with one cheek on the stool and one cheek hanging off, ready to stand up. If you're going to dive in, dive in all the way. To the extent that you do that, he blesses faith. He shows himself to you. No, not in big visions and all of that. One of the ways we can mess this up is to say, I'm, I know that the, the ones that haven't seen uh, and yet have believed are blessed. But if you could just give me a vision, if you could just answer this one prayer for me, Lord, if you'll do this for me, right? Ultimatums and little bargaining with God. If you'll get me out of this jam, I'll believe in you. Don't do that. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You ever heard that one? So there's a special blessing. By the way, in the book of Matthew chapter 5, the, the Sermon on the Mount begins with a small section called the Beatitudes. You ever heard that word? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is a separate, at the end of his life, another Beatitude. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We don't need to see, right? I can see the world, the sky at night, the way a baby is born, fruit growing on a tree, the planet sitting in, hanging on nothing in the middle of space, the moon orbiting in perfect orbit, and the whole enchilada going around the sun, and realize God's a God of order. He, there's no explanation except there's a God. It all just happened with one big bang. Really? Let's take our two-minute break and stretch our aging bodies. I'm going to turn my screen off for two minutes. I'll be right back. Don't go away. We are back. Thank you for being here. Those of you that are here, find your seats, if you will. We're back in the Gospel of John, chapter 20. And we've just given Thomas a hard time, but somebody just came up and, oh, cookies. Nice. See that? Somebody brought up, and they're correct, that Thomas only believed because he saw him. But that is technically true for the other 10 guys. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Bartholomew, they're not all up there going, praise God, he's risen. We heard it from Mary. and Right? They're cowering in unbelief, probably. Okay. Um, so 
Um, I think we've beat that dead horse of poor Thomas. By the way, you're going to meet Thomas in heaven and go, Joe was really putting you down and he's going to have a few words for me. Just kidding. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Okay. Um, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Faith means absolute belief, being sure of what we know is true and acting on it sitting on the stool of our faith, if you will. Verse 30 of chapter 20. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Oh, that was a good one. And those of you on Zoom, I see you, Ron and Sharon. Okay. And Ken. Okay. Um, so what, what follows in this chapter is a little odd because it almost sounds like John's wrapping it all up. But there's still a big loose end he's got to cover. That's what chapter 21 is, among other things. Watch verse 20. Um, no, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. He doesn't mean the Bible. He means John, the book of John. But these, the ones I chose, John is saying, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. When I was a kid, you and you probably as well in school you would do a book report and it always one of the questions the teacher at least in our school would ask is um what was the main plot of the book tell us about the author the characters who was the main character what was the conflict in the book what was the author's reason for writing the book john tells you in no uncertain terms first of all he says jesus performed many other signs signs are miracles okay the sign is points to something else the miracle is not the thing when jesus heals a blind man is that a miracle yes it is right but it means something it points to it's a sign that points to something else if he heals a blind man in chapter 9 born born blind and no one had ever done that it indicates he has supernatural power first of all right what else does it indicate Old Testament says that the Messiah will heal this, the sick, raise the dead, heal the blind eye, and the, heal the deaf ear. It's a proof that he, it's a sign pointing to his Messiahship, his Lordship, the fact that he's God in a human body. So John wants you to know, parenthetically, verse 30, Jesus did a lot of other stuff here. By the way, John picks seven miracles. That's it. Jay, uh, Matthew has more. Luke has way more. Matthew, uh, Mark, short gospel, even he has more um, that aren't recorded. John chooses certain miracles to point to a certain aspect of Jesus's character, power, and identity, I guess you would say. Um, so the seven signs John picks are water changed into wine. Do you remember that? Which is a creative miracle. I don't mean creative like an artist. I mean to create. He changed the essence of what the water was and made it wine. Go home and try that a thousand times. You're never going to do it, right? Hocus pocus. And, and he does it very surreptitiously. Do you remember? He just take it to the head waiter and only the disciples and Mary know it was him and the waiters. Remember that? Uh, water into wine is one he chooses in chapter two. Um, 
which shows that he's got power over the elements uh, and the quality even. Um, he heals the official son uh, in chapter four of John. Okay, that's healing. Yeah, we get that. But it's is an unusual miracle because he does it from a distance. Do you remember? He doesn't have to go there and lay hands on the guy. He says, go your way, your son is well. The guy believes faith, heads back, and hears your son got well at one o'clock yesterday. That's when Jesus said, right? It shows that his power is not just localized. He's got to be here to touch you. No, it's a spoken word. It's absolute power, even over the distance. He heals the um, paralytic in chapter, um, uh, I didn't write that. Oh, John 6. Um, he heals the paralytic, which is, okay, healing sickness. But that miracle, the whole point of that miracle, there's a whole controversy after that healing about the Sabbath, that he's Lord of the Sabbath. Oh, you healed on the Sabbath. You can't do that. The whole point is, no, he's Lord of the Sabbath, uh, showing that character quality. He feeds the 5,000. Uh, same chapter, chapter six. We talked about this when we studied chapter six. That does not mean 5,000 people. It's 5,000 men. Sorry, ladies, they only counted the men. So if there were 5,000 men, there would be at least 5,000 women. There's more women than men in church usually, but let's conservatively say 5,000 men, 5,000 women. That's 10,000 people that he fed, but that's no children. Don't you think there were some children there? So could it have been 15 or 20,000 people? Easily. It's a huge crowd, right? So that's quantity and absolute abundance and shows his love and his provision for them. Because if you remember, the disciples say, hey, it's getting late. We got no food. This big crowd, send them away. You remember that? And he says, no, you give them something to eat. And they find very little, just a few loaves and a few fish. We could spend all night on that one too. Then he walks on water, power over nature. Pretty amazing, right? Walking on water. Don't try that at your neighborhood pool or at Bass Lake. He walks on water, power over nature. He also calms storms, right? Power over nature. He heals a man born blind, sickness even from birth. He raises Lazarus, power over death itself. The ultimate evidence that he's got power over death is he raises himself, right? Um, let's see. And his own resignation, yeah, chapter 11. So, Keep in mind, talk is cheap. You ever heard that? Anybody can say, I'm God, I'm the Messiah, I'm this, I'm that. Great. Jesus proved it immutably, so many different ways. Um, the greatest sign Jesus did is his own resurrection. So um, the, his salvation is complete. Um, what do you mean by that? Look at, back at verse 30. Many other signs not recorded in this book. John's telling you there, this is not an exhaustive list of every single thing he did. In three years, you would have all, just the sermons alone would be many, many volumes, right? If you recorded, if somebody was there recording everything he said, just the miracles, all the interactions with people, all the stuff he did uh, at the end of John, the gospel, he's going to say, if everything he did was recorded, all the books in the, in the, on the planet couldn't contain it all. But we're not in that chapter, so we'll keep rolling. 
Look at the last verse in this chapter 31. But these, the one I the ones I chose, John says, are written for a purpose that you may believe. Don't just let it be head knowledge. Let it sink in to where you believe. You live accordingly. Where the let's see, where am I? There we go. That uh, that you may believe that Jesus is the, the specific person predicted in the Old Testament, the Messiah. But in case any Jew thinks, well, the Messiah doesn't necessarily have to be God, John wants you to know the Son of God. By the way, the Messiah Old Testament verses, some of them, Isaiah says, um, well, let's turn there. I hope I got the verse right. Isaiah 9, 6. I don't want to misquote it. Um, Isaiah kind of the middle of the Bible, or take a right when you get to Psalms and Proverbs. Isaiah 9, 6, listen, Messiah, Scripture, there are many. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. Okay, we know it's going to be a human child, it's going to be a male child. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called, listen, wonderful counselor. If you got a problem, this is the ultimate counselor to bring it to in prayer. But look at the next two words, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. The Messiah is supposed to be God. The parallel passage, I think it's Isaiah 7, is it not? Where it's said he will be called Emmanuel, which being translated means what class? God with us. It can't be much clearer. The Messiah is going to be a human being who is also God. Two natures, not half God, half man, like a person could be half Irish, half Italian. No, 100% God, 100% man, an additional nature. Okay, now that you're completely confused, let's keep rolling. Why does he want us to believe that he's the Messiah and the Son of God? That by believing, verse 31, you may have life in his name. He doesn't mean physical life. You've already got that, but it's going to end, right? Walter Martin used to say the death rate on planet Earth is still one per person. We're all going to make it. Everybody dies of their last accident or their last illness. Everybody, unless there's a rapture. Hope it comes soon. Amen. By believing you may have life, spiritual life, eternal life in his name. Let's go to chapter 21 now. Chapter 21, if you know about story writing and storytelling, it's an epilogue for John. It's just tying up a couple of loose ends. Um, yeah, that's all I want to say about the, uh, the main loose end, I'll just tell you, is Peter, right? He's the head apostle. Well, they all abandoned him. Yes, but Peter, it was predicted. You're going to deny me three times. And he did it. Isn't that astounding? I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know him. It's amazing. Okay. Chapter 21, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. By the way, some translations have Sea of Tiberias, same place. That's the more Roman name. The Jewish name would be Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, verse 2. Simon Peter. Thomas, also known as Didymus, he's remembering, remember, doubting Thomas, honest Thomas. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. So that's Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the two sons of Zebedee, that's five. And two other disciples were together. 
Who are they? Unnamed. Several that it could have been, we don't know, right? But there's seven here. Some scholars have written whole volumes on, and this may sound like minutia, but to me, it's an evidence of divine design of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John has sevens everywhere. Um, there's seven miracles. There's the seven, there are all kinds of sevens. I won't go into all of them, but here there are seven disciples in the boat. Okay. That's a majority of the 11, right? So they are together. Um, they're together in Galilee. Notice Galilee is hick country north of um, Jerusalem. They've gone back home in the parallel accounts. Before this, Matthew, I think Luke, Jesus says, now go to Galilee and wait for me there. So they go back home. That's a vague instruction. Did you get that? If, if I was one of them, I would have been where and when, where were you meeting at the corner of first and main? What time Thursday at nine, I'll be there. Just go to Galilee and wait, have a little faith. I'm I'll find you. Right. Verse three, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Now, there are all kinds of things been written about this verse that, ooh, Peter's sinning. Going back to his old life, he used to be a fisherman. He gave up with that for Jesus. Jesus told him, I'll make you a fisher of men. That hasn't happened yet. Peter's not showing much faith. Give me a break. He's not returning to the occupation. You know Peter. He's type A, right? He's the kind of guy that puts food in the microwave and goes like this. How long is this going to take? 30 seconds. He's very impatient. He's impetuous. He's just impulsive. He can't sit still. Let's go fishing. Another reason, practical reason. It's likely that the disciples lived off donations to the Jesus ministry of those three years, right? Now, the disciples, the other believers, and there weren't that many, some stopped believing. Some have been scattered. Now it's just the 11 of them. They're back. They're not earning a living. Let's go fishing. We need some food. Maybe we'll catch enough fish and we'll sell them. Right? So I don't think he's sinning. Um, but it does show they've been waiting and they, they're a little unsure of what to do next. Right? I'll do what I do best, says Peter, a professional fisherman. Let's go fishing. So, of course, you know, John, everything's symbolic in this book. There's lessons here. Who goes fishing? Seven of the guys without Jesus. Don't you already know they're not going to catch anything? In Luke 5, when he meets Peter uh, and actually calls him to being a disciple, do you remember? They're on the boat. They catch nothing. And then Peter's, uh, Jesus says, let your net down for a catch. And Peter, being the professional fisherman, says, no offense, Mr. Carpenter dude, Mr. Messiah guy. I'm a professional. We've been out all night. We haven't caught anything. 
Okay, so it's illogical and kind of silly for you to tell us to fish now. Do you remember what happens? They catch so many fish, they have to call the other. The other boats have to come and bring their nets. It's ridiculous. Jesus overdoes it in a good way, right? Abundance. That's about to happen again, kind of. So um, they're going to fish at night, and it's a popular time to fish, by the way, um, uh, for them in that uh, era. Um, they're sitting around. They're not sure what to do next. If you go to Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit comes, they're sure what to do next. We're going to preach. We're going to give sermons. We're going to get people saved. That's their whole mission. The rest of their lives, they die for that. Here, they're unsure. Another evidence, they probably don't have the Holy Spirit. So Pete says, I'm going fishing. And they go, yeah, we'll go with you. Uh, they get into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. In John 15, when Jesus says, I'm the vine that's connected to the roots and the earth, you are the branches. Remember, we spent a long time on that. I threatened to bring in a dead branch, do you remember, that was cut off two weeks ago to show you, look how dead it is. The branch gets its life from the vine. In that passage, John 15, Jesus says an astounding thing. Apart from me, you can do very little. No. What does he say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay. Now, on a surface level, you can hear that and say, oh, wait a minute now. Bill Gates isn't a believer. And apart from Jesus, he built Microsoft and made billions. So what? It's all going to burn. A thousand years from now, that won't matter, not even one billionth of one percent. In heaven, that won't even matter any percent. Anything of eternal consequence, of eternal good, has to be done through God. You and I can't do it. So this, what did Jesus tell Peter and the boys again, the fishermen? I will make you what? Fishers of men gospel spreading people becoming saved he's catching them for the kingdom if you will so i think it's funny that they didn't even catch one right all those nets like one come on one little nothing i thought this week about this peter is a professional fisherman so are james and john they were partners right i wonder did Jesus keep the fish away? Maybe. Is this just a coincidence? They caught nothing? I think Jesus is teaching them, you guys, you can't do anything apart from me. But with me, you're going to be blown away what happens. So there, all night, they've been fishing. Okay? Do you get cranky when you're tired? Ask my wife. I do. They're weary. They're hungry. They're hopeless. And here comes Jesus with uh, some hope. Verse four, early in the morning, as dawn was breaking, a new day on planet earth is dawning. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Okay, so they're a ways away. Um, and it's possible they don't realize it's Jesus because it's still dark. It could be a little foggy or misty. 
It could be that their eyes are prevented from recognizing him as happens in Luke 24 with the two guys on the road to Emmaus. Do you remember that? They don't recognize him. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him, the the scripture says. For whatever reason, they don't know that it's Jesus. There he is. How did he find them? It's God. God GPS. The G in GPS stands for God. I don't know if you know that. Um, this, there he is on the shore. Verse five. This is almost humorous. He calls out to them. Friends, NIV has, you know what it really is? It's boys. It's not little children. The word is male. Boys, haven't you any fish? The way he asks the question in Greek, it expects a negative response. In other words, you haven't caught any fish, have you? Okay. If you're a fisherman and you've been out all night, it's a sore subject. The last thing you need is some armchair quarterback on the shore going, let me tell you how to do it. We're professionals. Okay, please. Haven't caught any fish, have you? No, they answered. Can't you just sense the... (laughs) very you know if you've ever been a fisherman what you learn to expect is disappointment sometimes right what'd you catch nothing kind of embarrassing a little bit same thing witnessing for christ folks what do you mean sometimes you're going to witness and two people are going to go wow i have to hear more about this they're crying they're do you have a Bible I could borrow? Yes. Wow. This is so cool. Where's your Bible study? I want to. Oh, cool. Sometimes you'll get, oh, give me a break. You believe that stuff? Sometimes it doesn't happen every time that somebody believes. You haven't caught any fish, have you? No. He said, that's Jesus on the shore, shouting a hundred yards away, you know, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Okay. Now, the difference in location is the width of the boat. Okay. It's kind of ridiculous. If the the boat, if the if the net was um, on the port side, the left side of the boat, this unknown armchair authority on fishing who doesn't even have a boat, we've got a boat, okay? We got nets, we you leave us alone, is saying that an insignificant change in location from one side of the boat to the other is gonna suddenly make a huge difference. They would be different if he said, why don't you go four miles that way to that little bay? I've had success there, okay? It's purposely ridiculous in a way, but it makes the miracle all that more amazing, doesn't it? And it is a miracle. Um, by the way, the wind and the waves obey him. Why not the fish? I personally think Jesus told the fish, stay away from that boat until I tell you, and then you're going to come in droves and blow their minds. Okay. No, that's not in the scripture. Um, what's your point in all this, Joe? What's John's point? Well, first of all, when you and I are suffering defeat in our own flesh, in our own effort. And we come to the end of our rope, however that may manifest itself. When we're out of options, when we throw up our hands and go, well, I've tried everything. That's the golden opportunity for Jesus and God to work 
in your life and do amazing things. When you're done trying to do it on your own, you've tried everything. Sometimes people come to Christ. Have you noticed this? Not all. I didn't, but some do. When their face is in the gutter, when they're addicted to drugs and alcohol and there's no hope of anything, when they're in prison and it seems there could be no hope in any way, they look up. My old pastor, uh, Ray uh, Kraft in Roy Kraft in Santa Cruz, Twin Lakes Church, um, had a kind of a funny way of talking. He was a little chubby guy. He was brilliantly smart, though. And he used to say, um, what does God have to do to get your attention? Some people only look up when they're in a hospital bed and there's nowhere else to look. Have you noticed that? People, you talk to somebody when everything's going great, they're like, I don't need Jesus. You talk to somebody when they're broke and their wife just left them and they've been in a car accident and they're dying. They're like all ears now, right? What does God have to do? To okay, never mind. There's only two people watching, my wife and Jim Smythe, that know that voice. Anyway, um, let's move on. So he tells him, change the location of the net. Maybe they remember Luke 5 when he said, but they're not sure it's Jesus, don't forget. Uh, he told Peter, James, and John to lower their nets in James 5, uh, Luke 5. Um, uh, let's see, do we want to go there now? I think so. Jesus is teaching them something. Have you wondered this? He's with them 24-7 for more than three years, right? Teaching them, sleeping next to them out in the cold sometimes and eating with them, ministering with them. He rises from the dead and he just kind of pops in every now and then, right? You would expect, I'll be with you from now on. No. Why? He's teaching them what I'm calling the Bette Midler lesson. You say, okay, now you're getting weird, Joe. Bette Midler had a song, 70s, I think, maybe early 80s, called From a Distance. You remember that song? He's teaching them, you know how I've been with you, protecting you, providing for you, doing miracles and ministering to you? I'm still gonna do that. In fact, I'm gonna do that even more so, but from a distance. He's that's why it's sporadically, it's been a week. Where's he been? He's teaching them, I'm about to ascend to the Father, and you're not going to see me anymore physically. However, because I go, I can send the Holy Spirit to you, who's going to live inside you, and it's way better that way. I can minister directly to you, no matter where you are. You don't have to go. I don't have to go to be where you are in the Sea of Galilee. He's teaching them from a distance. He's able to provide, guide, and be with them and lead them in a way he wasn't able to before. Um, yeah, we already talked about that. Uh, it's time to relate to me in a different way, he's showing them. Just like he did Mary Magdalene, remember? She grasped his feet and worshiped him, and he said, don't cling to me. I haven't ascended to my father. Don't get used to me, my physical presence being here. The Holy Spirit is better. So he's teaching them the Bette Midler lesson from a distance. Okay, I won't sing the song for you. Um, he's sort of weaning them from his presence. Um, had they ignored or disobeyed, 
they would have caught nothing. But let's see what happens. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. That's an understatement. When they did, verse 6, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. All of a sudden, from here, one side of the boat, to here, the other side of the boat. It's crazy. You have to admit. I think Jesus went, and all the fish came. Um, okay. Then the disciple, verse 7, whom Jesus loved, that's John's favorite way of referring to himself, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. There's Peter, impetuous, just impulsive. Chuck Missler used to say about Peter, instead of ready, aim, fire, Peter is fire, ready, aim. He just does it. Okay, another lesson here. Did you catch it? What happened? They had tremendous success, right? They could have said, it's the way we put the nets in. It's the quality of the nets. You know, I repaired these nets over the last few weeks. It's, it's the Lord. Who gets the credit? It is the Lord, period. In fact, in my Bible, exclamation point. It is the Lord. When you have success, give the credit where it's due. As soon as Simon hears him say it's the Lord, he does a strange thing. You ever go to the beach? Get to where you're going to be on the sand? You're going to go swimming. What do you do? You take some of the clothing off, right? Take your shirt off, sandals off, take your watch off, and get in the water with your bathing suit. Peter is not thinking clearly. Fishermen fished in the, uh, what's basically an undergarment. It would be, if you can imagine, a T-shirt that looks just like a T-shirt, and it's down to your knees. That's what they would wear fishing. Okay, He's got an outer cloak. He wants to be properly dressed when he meets the Lord, so he puts his robe on, ties it up, and then dives in the ocean. So he can be properly dressed, even though he's going to be a soaking wet mess when he gets there. It's crazy. Kind of silly. So remember when Peter and John heard Mary Magdalene? The Lord is risen. Do you remember what they did? John says, so we both ran. And I, being younger, outran Peter. Remember that? Twice he mentions it. I got there first. Peter thinks John's instincts are pretty good. It's the Lord. He's not beating me this time. And he dives in. It's kind of comical, right? Keep in mind, Peter denied Jesus three times. Well, Jesus wasn't there. Come on. Jesus knew what Thomas said, and he wasn't there. Jesus knows. He denied him three times. Peter knows that Jesus knows that he denied him. But still, what matters to Peter? The fish? No. The boat? No. The net? No. His friends? No. The fact that he should help with the fish and the boat? No. One thing. I got to get there as fast as I can. Walk? No. Run. Swim. Get to Jesus any way you can. Okay. 
As soon as he says it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. Verse eight, the other disciples followed in the boat, probably cursing at Peter for thanks for the help, dude. Um, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. That's 300 feet, 100 stadia, I think it has, right? A football field away. Maybe Jesus is only this big on the shore and they can't tell it's him. Who knows? Interesting detail now. Um, so they're towing the working, bringing the boat in. Verse nine, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So the weird stranger who told them where to fish has already got a fire going and some fish of his own. He doesn't have a fishing pole. He doesn't have a net. He doesn't have a boat. Are those miracles too? I believe they are. Okay. Jesus is going to act as the host again just like at the Last Supper. But why mention the detail about uh, the fire of burning coals? Some translations have, it was a charcoal fire. Why? Number one, because John's an eyewitness and he's writing this and he remembers. But there's another time charcoal fire appears in this gospel. Anybody remember what it is? It's outside the high priest's house when they're having trials against Jesus. Peter and John, John gets in and sneaks Peter in. And as he does, the girl at the front gate says, hey, you're one of his disciples. Peter says, nope, not me. Don't know him. Peter tries to blend in and there's a charcoal fire. Coincidence? No, no charcoal fire there with a bunch of people. He's behind enemy lines with Peter and John. It's coal with John. Peter and John are warming themselves by the charcoal fire, which is where the other two denials happen. Is it possible, and you'll have to tune in next week to find out, that the charcoal fire is there to remind Peter of his how many denials? Three, and Jesus is going to reinstate Peter to leadership and faith and forgive him by asking him, guess how many questions? Three. That's why charcoal fire's there. Let's keep rolling, but we're just about out of time and most of you are asleep on Zoom. Okay. Um, Jesus already has fish there. That's astounding. And some bread. It also, those two terms re recall the fish and the bread that he multiplied and fed all those people. He's going to be host again. Jesus, verse 10, said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Interesting. couple things. Is the catch of the fish a miracle? No question. Did Jesus orchestrate? I believe he did. Not only keep the fish away, make the fish come. Okay? I want you to notice something else. The fish do not jump into the boat on their own. What do you mean? He uses human labor, including a net, nets or net, the human labor to pull him in and the boat. What's your point, Joe? That God doesn't just make people believers. He uses us and our effort. And sometimes our, I had to pay money to fly to Houston to go witness to somebody and they believed. And 
he graciously uses us and our time, talent, and treasure to spread the gospel. Remember, the fish are an analogy for the huge um, gospel uh, growth that's going to happen. All the people that are about to believe because these guys preach the gospel. We are right in the middle of the story and we're out of time. Um, and oddly enough, it's 153 fish. I'll tell you next week all the theories, and some of them are so ridiculous. Why 153? You, you won't believe it. Anyway, we're out of time. Let's close with prayer and um, do invite someone to the Bible study, both in person and on Zoom. Um, love to have you all there. Let's pray and then we'll get out of here. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this time we could spend in your word. And we're supposed to be fishers of men, Lord, and we're not that bold either. And we do have your spirit. Thank you that we were given faith. We believe without seeing you. I have no question in my mind about it. Um, we pray that you would help us spread the good news, help us to be bold. And when people believe, help us to be bold enough to declare to them, because of what the Bible says and what Jesus said, your sins, because you believe, are now completely erased and forgiven. He took them on the cross. And on the other hand, when we witness to people that don't believe, help us to have the boldness to say, well, because you're refusing Jesus's gift for now, at least, your sins are still on your soul and where you're headed isn't good. Help us to have that boldness, God, cause your spirit to speak through us and help us to trust you without seeing proof, even when we're in pain, when we're in need, when we're worried. Help us to recognize when your spirit is speaking to us and leading us. And may we see that apart from you, we can do nothing of any eternal consequence, but working with you in obedience, we can do amazing things, but help us to say it is the Lord, not us doing it. Bless these truths to our hearts and minds. God, may they change the way we live. Thank you for this time. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ with thanksgiving. Amen. Those of you that are here, make sure you say hello to someone that you don't know. That's very important. Those of you on Zoom, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Hope to see you next week. God bless.